Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week we'll talk about why we should wear clothes every day. This is more challenging than it sounds, perhaps. And we'll interview the brilliant Tanya Koch. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who really understands why wearing clothes can be such a challenge for us. (laughs) That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., currently wearing gray sweatpants. (laughs) We'll discuss more about that. Stay tuned. Um, But before we jump in, thanks to everyone for posting in the hashtag happier podcast for the month of January. It has been so much fun to see what people have posted. Yeah, we were posting one, a picture of something every day that made us happier. And what I noticed, Gretchen, is it's even a better exercise when you're not feeling happy because it forces you to find something that makes you happy if you're feeling a little down. Right. No, it's sort of like the gratitude journal, that it, the idea that it lifts you up because it's, it's forcing your attention on something that's good. It's fighting the negativity bias, um, especially yeah. during a tough time. So sometimes, I mean, last year, Alyssa, I think a lot of people kept doing it throughout the year, which was so fun. Yes. Um, yes. So, so keep going um, if you like. And thanks so much, everyone who participated. That was so fun. Now, try this at home tip. Okay, Elizabeth, this is very personal to you and me. I think many, yes. of, many of our listeners will be able to just give themselves like a big, big old pile of gold stars because they're already doing this try this at home effortlessly. But for us, yes. it's huge. And this is yeah. the try this at home to wear clothes every day for a month. So what do we mean by clothes? Because we should sort of preface this by saying, as discussed, you and I, you often wear yoga pants and running shoes and a hoodie. All the time. Basically all the time. I, I always wear sweatpants and a hoodie and sneakers. So by clothes, we mean non like workout type clothes. Yes. So jeans absolutely count as clothes. Yoga pants do not count as clothes. Right. So, Elizabeth, the question, though, is why are we bothering to do this? Because on the one hand, we love the freedom and the flexibility to just wear whatever we want and be super comfortable and get sharp yellow over ourselves and not worry about it. So there's definitely pluses to not wearing true clothes. But we've decided we want to challenge ourselves to wear clothes. Yes. And part of it is I want to see if I, you know just come across as more professional, I guess would be a big reason to why to do it. Um, Even though I work in such a casual environment, and that's one thing I love about TV writing, I still think like the other day, for instance, um, I was wearing sweats and we were supposed to have a meeting with a director like on a Thursday, but she got the days mixed up and showed up on a Tuesday. And so I was wearing sweats because I didn't know I had a meeting that day. And it was like, oh, God, it wasn't the best, you know, because I just think it sort of showed a lack of respect in a way. Um, And, of course, she walked in and I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm wearing sweats. I thought you were coming Thursday. But anyway, so I think it's like to be ready for sort of professional interactions. Like I can't tell you how many times I've been like at a sushi restaurant 
in sweats and run into like the head of the studio or something. So it's just will make me more professionally ready at all times. Well, it's also that bad feeling of feeling like you're not putting your best foot forward when you wish you Mm. were. And I feel like that's what it is for me. Like, I just feel like maybe if I put more effort into it and just felt more sort of put together and less like, oh, I just rolled out of bed. I feel like I I think I would just feel better or I'm curious to know what I will think because I haven't done it in such a long time. But then sometimes I have the same thing, like I'll run into somebody and I'll feel just sort of underprepared or like I want to do more on Instagram, but I never take pictures Mm. of myself because I'm like, well, I don't I just look so sloppy. I don't feel like including myself in a photograph. And I think I'd have more fun with Instagram and feel more potential if I felt more kind of ready. Not that I have to look fabulous and have like, you know, you know, like a whole kit all kitted out. But, you know, there's a difference between nothing and a little bit is, you know, I I think I also would feel more ready for action, more prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say another thing about wearing sweats is I do think it makes it easier to gain weight because it's like the stretchy waistband, the loose fit. Um, You know, for me, that's not a problem for you. But for me, I'm like, I need those jeans will definitely be a little bit more of a, you know, accountability um, partner just in the jeans themselves. Well, and you're right, because research shows that people do use the way their clothes fit as a way of monitoring it. So it's like, you know, and some people actually like have a pair of jeans that they never wash and they never wear and they just use them as kind of their to take their size to see. And so I think you're right. Part of the fun of really stretchy things is that they never feel tight. Are they, you know, yeah. they, they always they always feel good. Now, what are the time constraints on this? What are we asking from ourselves? Well, certainly at work. The question is, at home, are we having to wear these clothes? I think you don't go to work. So I guess for you, it has to be at home. Yeah. And I think I want to wear it until after dinner, like I, I or until I put on my pajamas. I think that's what I'm going to ask myself is to stay wearing clothes until I put on my pajamas. But you're different because you go to an office. Yeah, but all that sounds good. I'll do the same now. I may mean might mean me putting on my robe at uh, seven p.m. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, and then what about weekends? Ooh, I think we got to go all the way. I think it's a full month. It's a full month. Now, luckily, February is the shortest month. Yes, good. We chose well. <laughs> yes, shaved uh, off, shaved off a little bit there. Yes. Okay, so weekends too. Right. Okay. Uh, anytime we're wearing, we're not in our night clothes or exercising. So the the hardest thing for me to give up is going to be hoodies. Oh, we decided hoodies don't count as quote clothes. Not in, unless they're really really nice hoodies, like a really nice fabric where they really do. I mean, we know in our hearts what counts mm-hmm. as clothes. One of the things that I did without knowing that we were going to do this, try this at home, but turned out to be really helpful is over Christmas, I went shopping with you and with mom and with Eliza, and I got a couple pair of like fashion tennis shoes. Because for you, the thing is the hoodie. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the running shoes. I love Mm, the comfort of running shoes. And part of the thing about being in New York is you never know when you might have to walk a mile. You know, it's like, oh, the subway's closed. You've got to walk to the next stop or, you know, you've got to walk two avenues because you miscalculated where the address is. And so I always want to be wearing comfortable shoes. And so if I'm wearing running shoes, that just limits how far I can take an outfit right, into clothes. Right, right, it kind of locks right. you in. But now I have like nice shoes. As you were with me when I bought one of my pairs, they look nicer. You could build an outfit and include those kinds of shoes in a way that you couldn't with a running shoe. Yeah. So it's like you're they're comfortable enough for you to wear to walk a mile 
but um, not as comfortable as the running shoes that you usually wear. I know, because this is the thing. People are always like, they're as comfortable as running shoes. And I'm always like, they're really not as comfortable as running shoes. I mean, if running shoes is your standard, nothing's as comfortable right. as running shoes. Right. But things can be comfortable enough that you could do it. Now, what about makeup? I mm. Now, I think we can each go our own way. I am going to say that for me, I have to wear at least minimal makeup. Yeah, I will say that too. Although I always wear at least like, blush every day i don't know if just blush counts as makeup i don't even maybe do that, I, so i'm gonna do that okay okay and i'll continue to do that and maybe i'll try to up my eye makeup game um and then the other thing i think we should try to do although i wouldn't say it's an absolute requirement the way no sweats and no hoodies are is we change up our jewelry oh, that's like a- i'm sure we both have plenty of jewelry we never wear because we're too lazy to change what we wear right yeah Yes. And no, Gretchen, since we've, um, you brought up this idea, which, you know, I was like, oh my, you emailed me, hey, how about this? And I was like, oh Lord, I really don't want to do this, (laughs) but I'm forcing myself to be in an atmosphere of growth. I'm going to agree to this. But since then, yeah, I have bought a few things because I'm like, I really need more non-hoodie tops if I'm going to be going an entire month Well, there's also the pleasure, too, of just wearing what you have. I mean, like both Mm, of us needed some new things to outfit us for this this immense, you know, journey that we're going on together, this um, sisterly adventure. I have to say I'm more intimidated by this than by a lot of things that we've done. But it's but it's also the feeling of like I have these things. I I should wear them. And it feels good to put things to use and to wear everything in your closet because there is that bad feeling where you're like, that's a nice shirt. I should wear that more. It's a feeling. It's like a form of waste that's not satisfying. And I feel like. All, we will be wearing more clothes, more variety of clothes, and that's going to be that's going to be satisfying too. Yeah, and you know, Gretchen, the word um, one of my words of the year one is control, but the other one that Sarah and I, my writing partner and co-host of Happier in Hollywood, chose as a team was expand. Ooh. And I do think like upping my look goes with sort of the idea of expansion. It's like having a bigger vision for yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Yes, absolutely. Yes. For both of us, choosing the bigger life. (laughs) Yes. is. I mean, just wearing jeans. It's a low bar. I also bought the other day some very nice pants, but they actually are like, they look kind of like sweatpants. And I was like, this is like a transition piece for me. Uh But they're like rag and bow and they're very nice. Now, I can tell you another person, Gretchen, who's going to love this Try This at Home. Probably be her favorite Try This at Home ever. I can guess. Yes. Mom. Yes. Mom always has dressed so nicely our entire lives. She is an outfit person. Mm -hmm. Even just sitting at home alone reading a book, she looks great. Yes. I don't think she owns a pair of sweats. Or if she did, it would be some, you know, very yeah. nice, elegant parasol. Yes. No, she she's completely mystified by why we dress the way we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like we're letting her down because I, yeah. I'm like, gosh, she represents so well. And then here we are just slouching around like slobs. I know. Well, and now because of Eliza, I see like Eliza always looks really, really nice and always has on like an outfit. And as her mother, I take great pleasure in that. So now I have a lot more insight right. into like why it bugs. Because I used to, you know, think, oh, well, why would you, why would anybody ever wear anything else? But I think it's important. Like this is about the fact that 
over the years, you and I have talked many times about the fact that we just felt kind of bad about it. Like it's sort of, it's, yes. it's a drag. We feel underprepared. We feel like we're not bringing our best game. And this is an experiment to see what would it be like. And maybe what it'll do is it'll teach us how much we love the freedom to wear the clothes that we've been wearing and we will return to them <laughs> with just even more joy and embrace them. But I think it's good. We're stepping it up. We're expanding our idea of what we could do. Yes. Choosing the bigger life. Yes. And we'll have to report back um, how it goes. I know, but listen, I have to say, as a Harry Potter fan, whenever when I like proposed this to you, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, can we actually do this? Can we pull this off? I was thinking of that scene in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire when Barty Crouch is so angry with the house elf Winky and he dismisses her from his household by saying, this means clothes. And Winky is like, not clothes, not clothes. Because I was sort of thinking in my mind, oh, man, Elizabeth, <laughs> uh, clothes. Not clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know if you do try this at home. You may already wear clothes regularly. <laughs> but if you yeah. don't, let us know uh, if you gave it a try. Or maybe you want to change your game in some way. Maybe you do wear clothes, but you want to change your jewelry more. You want to put more clothes into circulation. You want to get out of a rut. We all fall into ruts. Let us know your take on it. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or as always, go to happiercast.com slash 154. This is episode 154 for everything related to this episode. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Coming up, we're going to totally change gears and talk about happiness in a different way. We'll talk to Gretchen's longtime close friend, Tanya Koch, about a traumatic, challenging time that Tanya's family went through, how they got through that terrible experience, and how much she learned about her children's resilience as well as her own. We wanted to let you know that hearing Tanya's story could be upsetting to younger listeners, so you might want to listen another time. And we'll be skipping today's happiness hack so that we have more time to talk to Tanya. And now it's time for an interview with Tanya Koch. Tanya Koch is a former defense attorney and a distinguished lecturer at John Jay College here in New York. And she is currently the senior program officer for criminal justice at the Ford Foundation. She writes on issues of criminal justice, trauma and resilience. And Tanya and I have known each other for a very, very long time because right after law school, we clerked together for Judge Pierre Laval on the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit here in New York City. And we have been friends ever since. And Tanya wrote a piece for The Washington Post that was so compelling and so moving that we wanted to bring her in today. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's an article called 
watching my daughter's resilience lead her to the right path. Hello, Tanya. It's so great to have you Welcome. here. Oh, yeah. it's so wonderful to be here with you both. Yeah, no, you're, and you're here in the studio in Brooklyn, so we get to sit face-to-face like we did for a whole year working together. So thanks so much for being here today. Oh, it's fantastic to be in my home borough of Brooklyn. Yeah. And sitting across from you just like we did when we were co-clerks yes. at the at a federal court, right? Yeah. We yeah. were traded germs and everything. Yeah, yeah. And conversation exactly. for an entire year. <laughs> exactly. Now, so, so, Tanya, you wrote this really, really thought-provoking and moving piece in the Washington Post about your daughter and about resilience. And I have to say it was especially poignant for me because Selah and Eliza have exactly the same birthday. They were born on the very, very same day. So in my mind, they've always been sort of like parallel children in some kind of mystical way. So I'll put a link to the article in the show notes, of course. But just for people who haven't read it, tell the story of you and Selah. Sure, sure. Well, um, yes, my daughter and your daughter are birthday girls, which makes me feel like a special connection to you, of course. But Sayla is my middle daughter, and she is one of four of my children who actually went through a really pretty horrific experience of trauma over the last few years that began in August of 2013 when my elder sister Sandra went missing from her home in Oakland, California on a Sunday night. She went out at 7 p.m. to run an errand and never came home. Five days later, she was found dead in a wooded ravine 30 miles north of her home. Um, She'd been killed. She'd been strangled by a man that she'd known about 20 years before who had recently moved back to the neighborhood and was doing odd jobs for her around the house. Um, You know, she had suspected him of burglarizing her home a few months before she'd had him arrested. And ultimately, he killed her two days after being released from jail. Wow. Yeah. So needless to say, it was a horrible tragedy, um, compounded by the fact that Sandra was a single mother. She left behind a 15-year-old daughter who then came to live with me, my husband, and my three children in in New Jersey. Um, Within about a month of her coming to live with us, my niece had a serious mental breakdown from the stress and, you know, all the trauma of losing so much at once. Her her mom, her home, her school, and her friends, you know, even her state, right? She -hmm. was coming 3,000 miles away, right, to live with us clear across the country. She was hospitalized multiple times during the course of the next year as she really struggled, you know, to come to terms with her losses. Um, And then as if that weren't bad enough, on the anniversary of my sister's death in August of 2014, our house burned down. I mean, it just is too much. Yeah, it was um, it was a pretty stunning <laughs> series of events. Oh you know, the the grace of it was that we were not home yeah. when the house was gutted mm-hmm. by a three alarm fire. Um, we had just happened to be away for the weekend, actually commemorating the first year anniversary of my sister's death. We decided to take a little trip to the beach. Um, mm. So the human survived the fire. My niece's cat, unfortunately. Um, perished in the fire. But we humans, you know, survived the fire intact, which of course was a blessing. But I have to say the psychic damage was another story altogether. It was just now it was loss upon loss upon loss. You sent me this quote that is just always stuck with me. Uh, It's from Aeschylus. And it says, Zeus, who guided men to think, who has laid it down that wisdom comes alone through suffering. 
Still there drips in sleep against the heart, grief of memory, against our pleasure we are temperate. From the gods who sit in grandeur, grace comes somehow violent. I love that poem because it really speaks to a terrible kind of wisdom that is born through suffering. And it's, I think it's a wisdom that most of us learn much later in life when people we love start to leave us or our bodies start to fail. But I tell my kids that they now have the grace of knowing how to move through hard times that will really serve them well into adulthood. Yeah. And to me, that poem really summed up that notion of, yeah. of wisdom through hard times. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. I remember sending it to you. Yeah, it was really a gift. It was a gift. And, you know, we were lucky. We had insurance. We were able to rebuild the house. But pretty soon after the fire, I'd say a couple of weeks after the fire, everybody's seams just started to come apart. Um, mm. And over the next few months, everyone in the family began really exhibiting signs of oh. post-traumatic stress. Um, and really all of our children suffered breakdowns of one sort of the other. But the story, the essay that I wrote in the Washington Post relates the story of my middle daughter, Sayla, our, your birthday our girl, birthday, Eliza's birthday, birthday buddy, girl, yeah. <laughs> who was 15 at the time of the fire. Um, a couple of weeks after the house burned, she started developing anxiety attacks. Um, triggered by electrical things. The, the fire marshals, I should say, concluded that the fire began when an electrical outlet overheated and set fire to the couch. Okay. So, so, so in her mind, it was kind of like electricity, what became the... Yes. And she had been feeling very guilty about the fact that her father had asked her to turn off the air conditioner um, or unplug it or something before we went off on this weekend tri trip and she hadn't done it. Oh. So oh, in her mind, she oh. just developed th just this horrific fear of electrical things. It could be a fan that was whirring, uh, the hum of an air conditioner, uh, the hum of a refrigerator, light bulbs. Oh, yes. Oh. Naked light bulbs were particularly oh. <laughs> were particularly triggering. I'll tell you, maybe I'll tell you a story another time about <laughs> the day that I came home and I found a mound of light bulbs, every single light bulb in the house oh. piled on the kitchen oh. table. Oh. And then, of course, hot things, right? The oven, the stove, open flames of any kind sure. were really triggering for Sayla. And this was especially tragic in her case because from the time she was a small girl, her great passion had been cooking. She cooked all the time. She had recently started a catering business where she was doing cocktail parties and small dinner parties for, you know, friends of the family in so our this town. So this was not, let's make chocolate chip cookies during a sleepover. This is like a serious person who knows she what chef she knows what she's doing and she's at a very high level yes yeah. in fact in the essay i talk about how i used to try to sign her up for you know kids cooking classes <laughs> she's <laughs> like the other, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> the other kids would be making you know tacos for lunch mm -hmm. and sailor would be at you know coming home later in the day and making you know lamb chops with cherry marsala <laughs> wine reduction <laughs> Yeah, she was a, she was seriously Serious. into the yeah. art and the craft of of um, of cooking, which is all about the heat. Yes, all mm -hmm. about the heat, all yes. about the fire. So, yes. as you can imagine, she began to steer a really wide berth around the kitchen, oh. and she stopped cooking entirely. Entirely, oh, it was just boy. really, really tragic. In the essay, I talk about how sad it was that 
holiday, that Christmas, cooking dinner alone, you know, in the kitchen without Sailor there to correct my seasoning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. so it was a real, it was a very significant loss in a lot of ways. It, Identity loss. It was. I think it, she really felt like she was, you know, losing herself. And then, of course, because her PTSD was so severe, she had a lot of trouble concentrating in school as sure. well. And, um, you know, part of it was the way that PTSD interferes with your concentration. And with her, it was her ability to read. And also, she was really afraid of the wiring, the old wiring behind the walls of our 100-year-old high school. She sure. was certain that it was just going to self-combust. Mm-hmm. And within about a month or so, the fire, she had to go on home instruction. And so mm-hmm. she didn't even have the comfort of her regular routine, her mm-hmm. school day re- routine. So she was just really struggling. Um, and then during this period of time, we were gearing up for the trial of the man who had killed my sister, which itself was a stress unto itself. Um, I was traveling back and forth to California for three months of trial, and I, you know, wasn't in such good shape myself. And I think, you know, really the whole family was just swimming in fear and anxiety, you know, whether he'd be convicted or acquitted. Was it safe to go back to our old house, which had been, you know, the scene of now a couple of traumas? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Uh, ultimately, you know, I'm happy to say the man who killed my sister was convicted. But within a day or two of my coming home from the trial, I found Sayla in bed one night before dinner just, you know, ticking. She was, I went upstairs and was like, honey, dinner is ready. Why don't you come down? And she said, you know, Mom, I don't feel so well. And I put my hand on her back and she was just ticking like a metronome, just small involuntary ticks in her right shoulder. And um, within a few minutes, the ticks turned into twitching and uh, the twitching turned into convulsions. Oh, my gosh. So we rushed her to the terrifying. Yeah, Yeah. it was, you know, there's really nothing right there. Yeah. Yeah. There's really nothing scarier, I think, than seeing your child having a seizure. But, um, you know, we got to the hospital. She was seizing so hard that it took two orderlies to hold her down. Oh, my gosh. The right side of her face drooped. She Um, couldn't um, walk or move her right side. You know, we were thinking that she was having a stroke or a major epilepsy attack or brain bleed. You know, we really didn't know what was happening. But they, you know, rushed her to the neurology unit. They hooked her up to a mess of electrodes. And within 12 hours, they had concluded that it was none of those things because the monitor, her brainwave seemed perfectly fine. And instead, they suspected that it was a psychosomatic reaction to stress. Wow. um, They called it uh, conversion disorder, which is, is a very rare, rare phenomenon in which a patient converts acute stress into debilitating physical symptoms often blindness or paralysis, or in her case, seizures. Mm. And, you know, as with so much of post-traumatic stress, it's a reaction of avoidance, right? right? To the shut down, shut down so that this, yeah, to take your, to protect yourself. Exactly. So by just taking her out of commission, the seizures essentially avoided a whole overwhelming set of stressors she was experiencing, you know, upcoming final exams, a decision, um, within our family about whether to return to our old house that was being reconstructed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the, the stress, the sure. toxic stress that we were all experiencing sure. in the household, sure. essentially. 
Uh, the good news is that eventually with a great deal of therapy and interestingly enough, a gradual return to her passion of cooking, she recovered. Uh-huh. Um, but it took two years. It took a great deal of perseverance um, and patience. Yeah. And what and as a parent, I mean, there was that beautiful moment of her kind of ability to embrace fire again. <laughs> what was that like to get that email? Yeah, you know, she ultimately decided in the fall of her senior year that she wasn't ready to apply to college, that she still had a little healing to do. But what she really wanted to do was to do a gap year in culinary school. Mm. So, mm. you know, by that time, she was back in the kitchen. In fact, the cooking helped to relieve her stress ultimately because she was doing something that she loved with uh-huh. her hands. And yeah. ultimately that, you know, as her stress subsided some became really important in her recovery. So Sailor went off to cooking school last fall. I delivered her to the International Culinary Center in Northern California where she began classes. And, you know, most days she would text or send or email us a picture of some fancy dish that she had made in class, you know, all of them beautiful and impossible looking gorgeous food. And then one day last November, she texted me a really different sort of picture. It was a picture of her dousing a saucepan with alcohol and then mm-hmm. with this giant flame reaching like four feet up to the ceiling. Wow. And she texted me this picture and she the caption was just three words. It said, didn't even flinch. Oh. oh. So, wow. That's like the definition of resilience. It is. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing, I have to say. There was another one of those moments um, earlier, a few months, uh, really about a year and a half earlier, when she was in the hospital for seizures. And she was lying there after having a really, really horrible, horrible seizure. She was lying on the floor just prone and she was looking up at the ceiling and she was just saying, mom, I can't stand this. I just hate my PTSD. This is just so unfair. I'm stuck in the hospital and my girlfriends are going to the Governor's Ball oh. Music Festival oh, that's a tomorrow. Bi- in, in New York City, that is a big thing for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Governor's Ball is like the thing to do. Yes, it's a three-day festival and you know every hip-hop and pop artist who's at the top of the charts is there. Her, She bought tickets weeks before her friends were going and mm. um, but she, there she was stuck in the hospital, and the, the concert was the next night. And I was like, you know, I'm smoothing her forehead. I'm like, honey, it's okay. It's okay. You know, there'll be another concert. And then, like, something just clicked. I could just see it in her eyes. And all of a sudden, her voice turned from anguished to just, like, pissed, just angry. And she right. said, you know, Mom, I am sick of PTSD. I'm going to get off this floor, and I'm going to take my exams, and I'm going to go see Drake at the Governor's <laughs> Ball tomorrow. Oh, wow. wow. And, you know, this is her third day of seizing in the hospital. She hadn't been able to walk because her right side was paralyzed. And she rolled over onto her knees. She leaned on me for a second. She struggled up to her feet, and she said, Mom, let's take a walk. And with that, she got up, she marched across the room, and she just, like, marched down the hospital corridor as if nothing was wrong. Because she had just decided, I'm going to see Drake, (laughs) (laughs) you know, with my friend. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, to me, it was really a lesson in um, the importance of, uh, you know, really just mental strength and, and perseverance that, you know, the... First, the brain is just an amazing thing, right? Yeah. First, that it could 
so debilitate her and then it could change so quickly. But to me, it was really a lesson in resilience and perseverance. And, you know, that is ultimately what got her through a really horrible time. And the thing is, for you going through this, you were going through so much yourself. And so to be dealing with yourself and then to be trying to help your children through it. And I'm sure, like, not knowing what to do or how do you help or how is this all going to turn out and all this uncertainty and just the tremendous drain that comes from trying to manage all this that's going on. And then just to have this moment where she just did it, you know, it must have been so thrilling as a parent to see, like, she's she's got it yeah, in herself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, it was a real lesson in that, um, you know, you can't always save your kids from hardship. Yeah. You can't always right. save them from, from capsizing. Yeah. But you can support their natural resiliency ah. to right the ship themselves. And that is really what Sayla did and, you know, really all of my kids in recovering from a hard time. And Tanya, how did you sort of take care of yourself during this period? I mean, you you must have been just obviously suffering your own enormous trauma. Yes, that is definitely true. I like to think that I was Wonder Woman, but in fact, <laughs> you were Wonder Woman. You are Wonder Woman. Yeah. You were Wonder Woman. But even yeah. Wonder Woman, like, what does Wonder Woman do yes. to recharge? Yes, I mean, my, my cape was pretty tattered <laughs> by the end, yeah. I have to say. Well, you know, I think a couple of things. Um, You know, the first thing, just in the wake of my sister's murder, I fought my natural instinct to say nothing when people said, you know, what can I do to help? You know, my natural tendency was to say nothing. I've got this. I'm fine. But, you know, I really was overwhelmed. And I pretty soon after a few people asked, I started thinking, okay, now what is this person good at? Mm. And I kind of matched their talent to a task. So, you know, um, my friend Jackie, who had done a lot of elder care for her relatives. I asked her to sign me up for my health insurance plan and my 401k at my new job that I was supposed to start uh, in two weeks that I just didn't have. Oh, that's right. You had started a new job oh, right I in the middle of all this. Too. It I really know, was. It was like Queen Elizabeth talking about Annas Horribilis. Um, you had like triple, triple, triple Annas Horribilis. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. We did have our own Annas Horribilis. Actually, a couple of them. Yeah. But, you know, um, a lawyer friend of mine in town said, how can I help? I asked her to handle the guardian petition for my niece, which she did free of charge. Um, and my book club buddies, you know, I let them bring me dinner every other night for two whole months, which was a godsend. So you were able to ask for help or yes. accept help. Yes, yes. As somebody who is normally pretty pretty um, self-reliant, I had to be humble and realize that I needed help and to take people up on their their good offers. But I would say that the lesson of self-care, you know, which is actually doing therapeutic things for myself, was Mm -hmm. something that I didn't absorb until much later. Ah. Yeah. Because I was just, you know, I was managing so much crisis. And when people would say, okay, Tanya, you know, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Right. Remember when you're on an airplane and it's going down, you (laughs) put on your emergency mask before you put on your kid's mask. And I would just look at them like with bug eyed and incredulity. I would be like, you clearly have no idea what my to do list looks like. Right, right. There's just no room right. for that. Yeah. No time for a massage. Oh, yeah. no. I mean, I think a friend did give me a massage certificate now that I think about it. It was about three months before I was able to to use it. And the massage therapist, Liz, said to me, she said, 
I think you must have fibromyalgia. I've oh. never worked on anybody who's so tense in my whole career. Oh, really? Oh, really? But wow. were you sort of gratified by that? And you're like, yeah, me. Like, yeah. like uh, I'm, you know. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I told you I was a stressed out mother. Right, before. right, right. Oh, oh. But, you know, I did ultimately absorb that lesson that I had to take care of myself. And, you know, actually it was Sayla who taught me that. She Ooh. was lying in the hospital with her seizures. And um, she said to me, she said, you know, Mom, we can't get well until you get well. Ah. It was a very profound statement, you know, because it took me a while yeah. to realize that while I was acting stressed and panicked, my children were absorbing my stress and my panic. Right. And that was when I stopped, you know, talking about, oh, we'll find a bunker with no electricity where we can all oh. wait out the anniversary of August the 4th oh, next oh, year. Oh. You know, like things like that that just weren't helpful, right? But I also needed to start taking care of myself, right, in order to not be stressed and panicked all the time. And um, oh, how insightful. Yeah. I but, know. Gosh, that's well, so you wise. Know, don't give me so much credit because it took me a good year to really figure it out that I had to do something for myself. And so I sat and I thought about, okay, what are things that are good for my body or that bring joy to my soul? Oh, And I actually wrote out a list of five things and I stuck it on the window of my bedroom. And of course, for everybody, they would be different. But for me, they were music. Mm-hmm. which makes me happy. I think I listened to that Pharrell song, Happy. Oh, there you go. Yes, <laughs> yes. The long version about 10,000 times that year. That's a good song. Um, exercise, which for me was yoga or a walk or a trip to the gym. Writing was the third thing. I wrote a journal almost every day for two and a half years that really was hugely cathartic and helped me work through. And all you of have the chaos. a you have a real English background, um, so that was also tapping into something from your past. Yeah, yeah. and something so that I really English, liked to yeah. do, and yeah. um, ultimately was hugely hugely cathartic. The fourth thing was to do something creative with my hands. I've always been a Ooh. super crafty person, yes. and that was really helpful. Beautiful textiles, yes, yes. and like I make little cards and paper yeah. crafty things. And the fifth thing on my list was to hug somebody. Ah. Yeah, mm. was to remember to hug the people that I love or to really accept a full-on body hug from somebody else. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. And so my um, rule was that I had to do at least three of those five things oh. every day. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And so then you felt more kind of refreshed and energized by doing those things? Yeah, and centered. You know, yeah. I didn't feel quite so panicky mm-hmm. like I had to you know, run in 10 different directions at the same time, which sometimes I did, but it centered and calmed me for sure. So having gone what you went through, do you have a try this at home that you would suggest to other people? I mean, what you just said is a great try this at home is like have your your list of five and every day is three to five. Or do you have do you have anything a, a, another one? Well, the other one that I thought of was really pretty Picayune. I don't know if it's worthy. Oh, of your yeah, happy we love them. We, we love oh, the, yeah. more, the more the more nitty gritty, small manageable yes, details. Yes, that's we love the nitty gritty, the small manageable details. Okay, so um, I think you know this, Gretchen, because we had this conversation before about how I spent a lot of time after the fire rehabbing burnt yes. um, and smoky things. Yes. Um, there wasn't much that survived the fire, but you know we did go through the house and you pick up the things that have sentimental value, like your baby, the baby blankets, um, my children's teddy bears, you know, a favorite piece of clothing that you wore on that date with your husband. And so every morning I would go in the laundry room and I would wash and rehab. 
And I bought OxyClean, mm-hmm. I bought Tide Sticks, I bought Febreze, you know, all of those specialty cleansers <laughs> that are supposed to work magic. <laughs> but, but then I discovered something that I want my children and grandchildren to know, and by extension, all of your listeners. Oh, good. Which is that Fantastic with bleach is all that you need. It's all that you need. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Life's gnarly messes. <laughs> well, it's so funny because there's fantastic this is, bleach. Yes. This is the literal thing, but it's like the metaphoric thing of like, how do I cleanse my soul of all of this turmoil? And it's like, if I can find the right product. <laughs> So this is it. This is what did the best job. Well, it did, you know, because I found that like it cleaned grout from tiles and mold and stains from clothing and grime from my crockery, you know, where the smoke had infested things. Um, And even items black with smoke will come clean with 10 sprays of Fantastic with bleach and a little soak. So, yes, that was like my epiphany. I wish that it had been so simple to clean up like the psychic trauma of my life. (laughs) Mm -hmm, That definitely took, you know, multiple therapies. But there was a certain joy in in finding this cleanser that helped with all of the other. And and reclaiming some of the things that. Could potentially could be lost, but then you managed to save. Yeah. And, you know, it was actually really nice to be able to deliver my son's favorite teddy bear. Actually, it's a polar bear. Oh. Um, to him. It was the first thing yeah. after the fire happened. Literally, it was the second question he asked. The first question was, you know, what about Ramona, our cat? And then the second question was, yeah. what about my polar bear? Oh. And um, my sister helped to rehab him with a little fantastic with bleach and some vodka which is also a a, a tip for your listeners which gets out smoke is really helpful in removing the smoke smell so so yeah sometimes it was the little things like that (laughs) that i was able to do for myself or for my family um you know that was that was important wow well tanya that's going on my grocery list yeah yeah um Thank you so much for being here and telling us about how you got through it and watching your daughter go through it and get through it and get through to the other side. Yeah. You know, I would say that the one lesson, the other lesson that I learned is that it's, you know, it's important to have faith that you'll yeah. get on the other yeah. side of hard, hard times. And even though each of my children suffered more than, you know, they deserve to, the truth is that they came out on the other end of it stronger and wiser people. And, um, you know, that's that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you, Tanya. I'm going to post a link again to the piece from The Washington Post for people who want to read it um, for themselves. But this is, thank you so much for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll be right back with this week's Happiness, Demerit, and Gold Star. Elizabeth, it is time for Demerits and Gold Stars, and this episode is 154, an even-numbered episode, which means you are up for a demerit. Yes. Um, oh, goodness, Gretchen. Uh, my demerit... Okay, I have to start by saying that I have low iron. I mm-hmm. need more iron. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of been an ongoing issue because I've been trying to take iron pills, and they just make me throw up. Mm. So that's not working. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we were all discussing this. Uh, the family was discussing <laughs> this. Um, 
And um, you found me this great doctor in Tarzana, which is right near me. It's right next to Encino where I live, Tarzana, who is supposed to be the great guy to go to to get my iron back up to where it needs to be. And I have his name. I have his number. He's very close to me. And I have not made an appointment. And that's my demerit. And what what is standing in your way? Do you have a sense? Um, I think a few things. I think one, I know that it's going to involve getting my blood taken. And I really have a hard time yeah. getting my blood taken. That's really like hard I for faint you. sometimes. My vein, I mean, even just talking about it now, I feel faint. Yeah. Because I have really small veins and it, it's just very difficult. Yeah. Um, and then just the sort of, I think it's unnerving to be like, what, you know, I have to talk to him. I have to tell yeah. him what's going on with me. They'll want to weigh me. You know, I mean, just like the whole thing of like kind of opening yourself up to another doctor who knows yeah. nothing about you is very... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Intimidating. Yeah. That's hard. So I just need to do it, make the appointment. Yeah. You know, and then um just go. Of course it's also hard cuz work, you know, yeah. all the usual yeah. reasons. Yeah. No, just putting know. something on the schedule sort of your heart sinks cuz you're like, well, it's just another thing to have to work around and potentially reschedule and Yes. Just like think But through. I need to do it because I'm sure that if I address this issue, I will have more energy, you know, among other things. So yeah. I need to um, do whatever I need to do to get my iron where it should be. Good. Good. So that's that. Now that I stated it, hopefully it will drive me to make an appointment like yeah. after I finish this recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Accountability. Um, but Gretchen, take us up. What's your gold star? Okay. So on my 18 for 2018 list, I had fallen behind, I would say, like, by 18 months with my photos. And I'm somebody where I don't remember the past very well. And so I use family photo albums as kind of a, a visual diary. So they're really important mm. to me. And I'm pretty good about keeping them. But I had fallen way behind. And so... I finally caught up. I use Shutterfly as mm. the way to make my printed albums. And it took a really, really long time because I had to go through and pick photos that were worth keeping. And then I had to arrange them in albums. And then the albums had to come. And then what I do is I hand write uh, captions in, like where were we and just kind of like mm. anything I can think of. I did a pretty cursory job on that, I would say. But I had six giant photo albums because there were so wow. many pictures. And so it was this huge undertaking, and I feel such a sense of relief, and I'm so happy I caught up. And I vowed, as I have before, that I will never fall so far behind again. But it really is fun. And, like, my kids were, like, they were leaping through them and laughing and, you know, pointing things out. And they wrote some captions, too. And so it really was this wonderful thing where, you know, they say, like, one of the best ways to make yourself happy in the present is to remember happy times in the past. And I'm like, I don't even remember the past at all. Like, what did we even do? I, you know, I can't even remember, you know, like 19... do you know, t- 2011, what it, what did we, what happened? Um, so it's nice to right, have okay. that visual memory. So anyway, so I crossed it off my list. That was hugely satisfying. I have the albums, hugely satisfying. So that was very, that was a really, that was a good day. Nice work. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home if it applies to you, which it may not. <laughs> Can you wear clothes for a whole month? Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. 
Thank you to our producer, Odelia Rubin. Also thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, as always, you know what I'm going to say. Please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us however you listen to your podcast. This week's resources, I want to remind you that you can request a signed personalized book plate for a book of mine or a signature card if you have an audio book or an ebook. Um, I will post a link to that, but unfortunately, I can do these in U.S. and Canada only because of mailing costs. This is an actual thing that I will mail to you, so I have to limit it to U.S. and Canada, and I'm sorry about that. But if you want to sign up, I'll put a sign up on my website. And you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, I'll put a link to that. And there I post updates and links and sometimes little bonuses. You can learn what's going on with these books that I keep talking about, My Color Pilgrimage <laughs> and Outer Order Inner Calm. I'll put updates there. And so the newsletter is just, you know, things that I think people would find interesting. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.